Hello and welcome to Unsourceful. It is our 52nd episode. I've been doing this for 52 weeks straight. It seems like that must mean that we have reached our first anniversary episode. And I am so incredibly proud of that. It's been such a wild trip to do. I've been really happy doing this and I'm so glad that there's some people who actually do, like I say, at the end of every episode that do comments and give questions, give feedback. It's pretty amazing and I am just so overjoyed about it. It's honestly been a huge pleasure doing this and I can't really believe that it's been a year but in any case thank you all so much and let's get started with this pretty big milestone episode. First things up let's do some movie news. Let's start with the big one this week. Huge swaths of the third act of Avengers Endgame did leak this week. I've seen it. I won't spoil it. There'd really be no point. I just thought it was pretty damn funny that it leaked at all. 10 days to go at that point and just huge things that people would have been waiting to see. They're out there now. I really do hope that those who did put a premium on going in spoiler free have been able to avoid them because they're pretty deafy spoilers. And no matter my personal thoughts and whether or not they make the movie look good or bad, I won't say either because that in itself might be a spoiler. They should have the right to not be totally ruined for their efforts in seeing a movie blind. So yeah. Fingers crossed for them. Moving on, we have the news that John Cena has been tapped for the role in Suicide Squad 2 that was originally planned to star Batista. Apparently, Batista's schedule has prevented him from accepting this role. So the current rumor mill is that John Cena will be playing Peacemaker. That doesn't sound at all that good. In fact, it sounds really, really bad. Cena isn't an awful actor, but he's an extremely limited one. He works better as the sounding board for punchlines and jokes. He tried being an action star, but that didn't work out because he's not a good action star but in movies like Trainwreck or Cockblockers he does okay. Even in Cockblockers however he wasn't the best thing about that movie. Ike Barinholtz surprisingly stole the show there. So yeah I really don't see him working as Peacemaker at all unless they make him a joke and that sounds completely terrible. So fingers crossed that this is all just fishing. Lastly for movie news the Mouse Guard movie has been cancelled two weeks before production was meant to actually begin. People have guessed that this is likely a casualty of the Fox-Disney merger, but there's nothing really concrete. The director has stated that they are shopping the movie around and hope to find a new home soon. I don't think that that's going to be pretty likely, but best of luck to them. Heading on into TV news, we move on into something similar. The Swamp Thing show has been cut short. While it's not been outright cancelled, the final three episodes of this first season have been cut from production and the crew have been told to retrofit with whatever they have left of the 10th episode to end the story. This is coming right off the heels of the DC Universe app apparently being merged in with the general WB app that they're planning, and it's quite shocking. Unlike Titans, there is no real solid guarantee that this will even get a second season, and production being cut entirely is really more abrupt than Titans ever even got. Because at least with Titans' very messy first season, they got to finish filming before throwing entire episodes into the trash. It's a shame because despite my distaste for Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which this show would have taken a lot from, the show still had a lot of potential. Still had great actors, still had great showrunners, still had great production value. And funnily enough, we even got a makeup reveal for Swamp Thing the very same day this news broke. And he looks pretty damn good. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst here. It's, it's a damn shame and it would be a real waste if this show got thrown in the trash 
over nothing. And because we have to keep this depressive train rolling, the Why the Last Man show has also stalled production after its showrunners have left the show. The production is looking for new showrunners, and it does seem like it will still be attempted to make it to the air. But who knows what behind-the-scenes trouble made the previous showrunners leave, and whether or not the show will be heavily retooled. So, fingers crossed for them. It does seem like they at least do want to make this, that people are still committed to making this, but it does seem really unfortunate. And apparently, The Gifted was cancelled from Fox, and it seems like the end of the line for that show. Even bigger fans of the show that I know shed no tears for it. So, I don't feel like there's going to be any real fan upswell to save this show like other previously cancelled shows have been saved. We also have the first season 2 trailer for Krypton and it finally showcases Lobo's voice. It's surprisingly a softer sort of southerny twang. Most people expect deep baritone with Lobo but this goes in a completely different direction and a lot of people have started hating on it but I'm hopeful it can work. It does seem to have some personality to it and if the actor can pull it off with attitude then all the better. The rest of the trailer does show a Krypton civil war and Adam Strange continuing to fuck things up with the timeline and I can't wait for all that it's so damn fun and I really hope that the characters continue on being the real me of this series lastly we also have iZombie's final season which has gotten a new trailer and poster but the show is completely awful now so I don't really give a shit two thumbs down lastly we have some comic news first some levity Mark Millar has announced his newest comic to come from image Space Bandits and it looks like another utter bore of a series there is really nothing much to say about it. Nothing about it seems interesting. It's just an other shallow wannabe crowd pleaser. Hope it's more than it seems, but I'm not expecting anything at all, especially after his latest efforts. And finally, and sadly, it transpired that manga writer Kazuo Koke has passed. Largely known as one of the creators of Lone Wolf and Cub, I can only say that I hope that they are resting in peace. They truly deserve it. Their work has had so much influence and effect throughout so many mediums. It's astounding. Nothing really has ever been untouched by it. And it's a magnificent legacy to leave off with. I love the series. I love all things that were adapted from it, inspired by it, and really just hinging on the general tones that it left the storytelling narratives. I hope that wherever they are, they are remembered. And again, rest in peace. Let's move on to what I read this week. First, we have BPRD, The Devil You Know, number 15. Now, I'm not going to try and pretend that I've been caught up on BPRD or the Hellboy spinoffs outside this particular series. I'm not. Most of what I know from the outer Hellboy world has been from hearsay from fans. But when I heard a few months back that the Hellboy saga was ending, I made at least a point to read this series. And well, we finally reached the end. It's another split point for me. There's a lot of that going around these days, but to be blunt, this miniseries was pretty damn imbalanced. There wasn't enough to build up what it felt it wanted to do, but it also wasn't short and constrained enough to feel so directed as the rest of the finale that it wanted to be. It does feel like a struggle against itself, and many hardcore fans have noted this. So honestly, it does mar it a bit because I actually kind of really like this ending. It plays with a lot of the same beats that I have admitted time and time again to loving. The whole cyclic recurring sense of closure. The idea that things are both finite and infinite. Just this amazing conjunction. It's a wonderful effect if you can pull it off, and the final pages of this issue do. It captures that somber, bittersweet, and slightly cynical, but hearty tone of Hellboy that I do really enjoy about the main franchise. Just wish that when reading it, it didn't feel so lopsided, because it does. The final half of this issue itself could have been released as a short story in some sort of annual, and nothing really would have changed. That's how unintegrated it felt. But I really liked it. I thought it was lovely, and I can't lie about that. But it deserved better buildup and a greater impact. One thumb middle, one thumb up. 
Spider-Man Life Story number two. This issue really sets the series into a whole different strata than what I was expecting. An entirely different lane that makes me take this on with a softer look. It's less trying to conform Spider-Man's life story as it would have happened in real time, but instead actively blowing it out. It's upending and completely trying all the myriad ways things could have happened. And it works. It's incredibly fun and captures that innate sense of a great Elseworlds. Something that knows it has the license to be out there, and becomes more creative and takes complete advantage of it. It doesn't really try to pull any punches when it comes to that. Which does prove to be kind of a double-edged sword as it leads to this really dumb plot beat. I don't want to give it away because this series is still so very much worth reading. But it's a plot beat that could have worked if they didn't totally gloss over it. It's emotionally rooted but we don't get to see the actual emotions play out. So it's left as just this really confounding development that feels undercooked and forced. Thankfully it's helped out at the end by another great character set piece. Like I said with the first issue, as long as this series can pull off one of those each time, it'll make a name for itself. It'll become a classic. And the closing pages of this one are second to none. It might be Bagley's best, most emotional art in years. One thumb up, one thumb middle. Okay, moving on to Naomi number four. Alright, you can run me over for this all you want, beat me to death or whatever, but I actually enjoyed this issue. It's a fun light issue. There's no muss, no fuss, some really entertaining character beats, and like the last issue, there's no whiplash or any of the characters constantly stampeding over each other. It just seems like it wants to be as lifely as it can without being overbearing, grating, or annoying. So I have to presume that Bendis wrote 0% of this issue. It's just the only thing that makes sense about this. The only truly negative thing I have to say about this issue is that the page layouts can be really aggravating and uninspired, and that just makes a lot of things seem very flat on first glance, which is a downside because it's fun. It's a fun harmless book. So it is internally at odds. Of course since this is supposedly setting up bigger things in the DCU, this fun harmless contained nature that I really enjoy can't and won't last. But I hope the transition works out okay. Although knowing Bendis, it won't. It'll go back to being grading real soon. One thumb up, one thumb middle. And lastly we have Kick-Ass number 13. This has been a great issue and a fantastic start to this new arc. I can't believe how well it's been able to make the shift into an outright ongoing status. But this issue is shaping up to be even better than the last arc. It feels more practiced, more assured, more confident, and definitely more planned out. I love the previous arc too. But there was this sense of airiness to it. Like it didn't want to be substantial or to risk anything. This however definitely is and definitely does. We get plots, stakes, character dynamics, hilarious set pieces, and some really thrilling setups. Still keeping that classic kick-ass flavor, but completely owning it in its own unique way. We even get some cynical dark humor too, as Patience's ex-husband returns to the series and gets punched the hell of the kingdom come. It's awesome. Two damn thumbs up. I love this series, flaws and all, and I'm glad it's finally showing some staying power after all this time. What a great issue to end the week with. Anyway, Let's move on to what I watched this week. We have the return of Gotham with Gotham episode 11. They did what? Which is the final prequel episode of the series. And it's kind of the weakest episode of the season. There's no getting around that. This season definitely wasn't one of Gotham's best to begin with. Not any fault of its own. They had to cut half the season. And then they made the understandable choice to prioritize character arcs for the remaining episodes rather than working on the actual overarching plot. But that leaves us with this episode, which is wrapping up that plot. And it's hard to wrap up something that never really had the resolution or the foundation or development needed. So it just feels like a bunch of fluff. And that's a shame because there are some good moments in this and a few that remind me so much of what I like about this show. But nothing else really lands. It's too hurried, too rushed, and it goes about way too quickly 
in aiming to set up these last minute jumps. A big one is Bruce finally being inspired by bats. It's set up and paid off and it's very obvious in between. And the payoff itself is really lame as hell. Still, by all accounts, it's a miracle that some moments do land. And it's because they retain so much of that old school Gotham charm. It becomes easier in those moments to remember that the consistency of the show was never the forte. It was never the point. But the insane and fun little beats that breathe creativity was what made that show special. There are some great things like with Riddler and Penguin, Gordon and Bullock, and Bruce finally cementing himself as an insensitive douchebag. And it's kind of all right with the world. The finale next week will be a final time jump to Batman. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope it sticks the landing because it really deserves to. Even despite the rather depressive nature of how this season turned out. Even though I really like a lot of episodes as you can probably tell from previous reviews. Anyway, two thumbs middle. Next up we have Doom Patrol episode 10, Hair Patrol. This was a bit of an odd episode. Weird thing to say, I know. But there were times when this episode lost me. And even the laxer episodes still gripped me. This, however, really strained that at times. And the burden really falls on the Niles Calder half of the episode. The other half of the episode, featuring Rita and Cyborg facing off against some asshat called the Beard Hunter, is kind of pure joy. It's funny, it's thrilling, it has that hard line of depression, and it's so damn cynical while being all the other things that I just mentioned. It's quite honestly a huge amount of fun that still takes advantage of the character arcs that are being built up, especially Rita and Cyborgs. They still get the development that I really enjoy from these characters in the show. Kind of makes me wish the entire episode had been about that, because the Niall stuff is kind of a huge snooze at times. I recognize the importance it had for his character and the ongoing development of the plot, and I love both of those things that it does. We get, again, darker shades of his character and his motivations. It's also kind of boring as hell. Every time we cut back to his storyline, the momentum of the episode just crashes to a halt and all the events of his flashbacks aren't really all that engaging. We didn't need to see as much of it as we did. In fact, it might have been more entertaining if we just kept jumping forward. That would have at least felt more interesting tone-wise with where his plot goes. But yeah, again, even at its worst, this show is still somehow really damn good. The Beard Hunter himself was just a damn entertaining character and I really hope we see him again. Maybe as a duo with the Animal Mineral Vegetable Man. God, it also has this perfectly eerie and spooky bee at the end, which does tie into the Niles Caller half the episode. So again, there's still so much to love, even when I think that it's not really playing to the fullest of its potential. Overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. I can't wait for next week's. It seems like it's going to be a heavy hitting episode, and that sounds like a great time. Next up, we have my full review of Hellboy, and there's not going to be any spoiler or spoiler-free division for this movie because it's going to be pointless because this movie doesn't have much to spoil. It's one of those movies that is so scattered that any attempt to spoil shit would put the burden on me to explain every damn detail because it's kind of a mess. And I really don't want to put that much work on myself for a movie that wasn't that good. So to hell with it. We're going to be doing a regular old review. And whenever I have the call out, I will. So here we go. Suffice it to say, it's not good. It's actually pretty bad. The story is nonsense. The acting is stilted. The writing definitely doesn't help. And the tone, the tone might be the worst part because of what it's trying to accomplish. It's so clearly trying to be this really fun and outrageous action adventure movie. And at times, especially during the four goddamn prologues this movie has, it kind of feels like it's attempting to be or aping Stephen Summers' The Mummy. The real problem, however, is just how cheap and embarrassing the production of the movie actually is. It then completely undercuts and distracts from whatever sense of fun you're meant to be having. Because it's so undercooked at times, you're really only left to have fun at the film and not with it. Which just gets tiring. 
Even knowingly schlocky B-movies have the sense that they're going all out trying. The fakery of crap ones is obvious, and this is pretty much nearing that limit. It's trying to make do, but lacks a real solid foothold. The characters are nothing but vessels for cheap stock dynamics and banter, and the last of which is really failing. There's way too many scenes of exposition, setup, foundation, all playing catch up. Everything is at odds. Everything is at conflict. After a certain point, you either roll with it, if you really want to, or just glaze over. It's a bore, but at least it's trying not to be, but that's really not enough to really recommend it, because nothing it really does helps with that. It only knows when to keep digging itself deeper, trying to be more fun, trying to explain more, trying to shove more in. I could go into more detail, I really could, but it gives me headaches to think about this story and a ridiculously long way it goes about trying to present itself. Holy shit, it starts with quick cuts grokking King Arthur decapitations. It says a lot when the Transformers, the last night movie, had a better King Arthur prologue. It really does. One thumb down, one thumb maybe middle, maybe down, depending on your tolerance for this kind of shit, but I'm gonna go with two thumbs down. Oh, and one thing before we move on, I did want to address that meme that's been going around about this review that says that Mia Jovovich has the best character acting in the entire movie, and I want to say yes, she does in a way she really does commit to the character the character really isn't that interesting or that substantial so there's not much to do she just goes for it and it helps the characters feel very more consistent than everyone else who just has a lot of banter and interplay and witty quirky dialogue so yeah no i guess i can see why that reviewer said that she had the best acting chops in the movie because she doesn't really have that much that wavers as much as everyone else does so yeah no hellboy is definitely a mess and so we head off into listener questions our first one comes from Cezaya, and their question is what has been the hardest thing to review so far and that's a magnificent question and perfect for this first anniversary feeling so yeah let's get right into it honestly anything boring because if we've just seen with hellboy it's really hard to put into words just how tiring and energy zapping something that is just a dull experience can be it can lead me to feeling whether i've done enough to capture that sensibility and my reaction to it or if i've definitely missed a mark with it so it's caused me to be really cautious about it however the good angle of this is that it's led me to just not review stuff if it's just too hard at the time and not really worth reviewing or putting the effort into some examples of varying badness or like mr miracle fantastic four heroes in crisis the gifted female furies and so much more those were dang tough to get through and at the end of the day i felt well they're just so boring really why even bother you know i should be reviewing things that i should be warning people about or that i really loved or that I feel has some merit. So yeah, no, that would probably be the hardest things I've had to review. And even then, I've reviewed so much that it can be kind of muddled. I probably missed a couple. But thank you for that question so much, Cezaya. It meant so much. And thank you. Thank you so much for your questions. It means a lot. Our second question comes from the Evergreat Illuminated. I'll put their links below. And I'm so glad that they brought in a question. I'm really honored about that. And they have actually two questions. Our first question, again, is a great anniversary one, is what do I feel I've learned after doing this for a whole year? What I've learned from doing this for a whole year is pretty much the importance, the preparation. I used to think that I could just hit record and start spouting off opinions and <laughs> and who boy did I realize that it just wasn't going to work that way so I eventually started making prep notes and now I do full-on scripts it saves time it saves hassling and it really helps me get to my point because something else I learned is that I shouldn't try to strain myself to reach a limit with an opinion like it has to be this long but I also shouldn't think that all I have to say is something small when I have many thoughts and I also learned that some things aren't worth talking about at all so yeah it's been kind of a learning curve this and there's still a lot to learn 
but it's been fun and I truly appreciate it. And I guess with grander scope things that I've learned is that there are a lot of really bad articles there that do non-news and comic journalism is a complete trash pit. But I think we all already knew that. So doing this for a year just brought that into sharp relief. Illuminated's second question is, what is my favorite work or creation by Mignola? And apparently this is ignoring Hellboy. So I guess I have to answer the doom that came to Gotham, full stop. I don't really think of it much as a Lovecraft homage, but then again, I have pretty high standards for that. But it is a cool looking comic, it has great premises and Elseworld revisions, and it's a lot of spooky fun. It's a great little adventure comic that does go a little bit more creepy and doesn't really pull out any punches when it comes to body horror or just really being in your face with just the dire and dreadful aspects of it. It's pretty damn enjoyable and I think it really holds up. And it really is one of the best Elseworlds I ever did. Anyway, thank you so much for these questions, Illuminated. They were fantastic. I had a lot of fun with them. And thank you so much for patroning the show and for giving comments and questions all the time. It, it's honestly astounding. I never expected it. I really never did. And so grateful. Our last two questions come from AkiCat on Twitter, uh, who, again, uh, thank you so much for all these questions you sent in. I'm so glad that we got so many repeat ones this episode. It, it means a lot. It's truly magnificent, and I'm so, so humbled by it. Anyway, AkiCat's two questions are, first, which superhero franchise do I like? Now, I guess that this might be like superhero franchise in terms of movies or in terms of comics. I guess in terms of comics, it has to be The Flash. I love The Flash. I think the concept is great. I think the characters are great. The series might be pretty trash right now, but I just love the idea. I love the extended family of characters and that go with The Flash. Like Gorilla City, the time travel, the Tornado Twins, Impulse, Flashpoint. Some of the minis are fantastic too. It's it's a really great and extensive library of stuff. And so, yeah, I love them if you're just talking about comics and just superheroes as their own concepts. But if we're talking about like franchise as in like superhero movie franchises, then that becomes a pretty tough question because a lot of them have insanely variable catalogs. You might have a good first movie or excessively weak sequels, or you could have a really weak first couple of entries and then an okay or even great last one. It's not easy ground to get into. But if I had to think about it, it would probably have to be the Fox X-Men universe. Which is strange given that they're not really one of my favorite comic series or characters. But damn it if they don't actually have the largest string of decent comic movies. Sure you have some garbage like The Last Stand, Origins, or First Class, but that's really kind of it. Everything else is just maybe okay at worst, kind of brilliant at best, and that's not even counting shows like Legion. It's sort of a veritable powerhouse of a franchise. I can only hope that it ends on a good note of Dark Phoenix and New Mutants, because apparently New Mutants has been rumored to be pushed again and might never come out. So yeah, if it ever comes out, I hope that it does stick the landing for this franchise because it deserves it. AkiCat's second question is, what superhero do I connect with the most? And I think I answered this before, and it would have to be the Hulk again. Not exactly the rage bit, at least not since I was kind of a troubled kid, but more so now for the raw emotional core of the character. The fears and conflict within oneself, anxiety, stress, just nerves being a bundle of conjoined and conflicting feelings. It's what makes the character really engaging to read about when they do take the time to figure out what the character should be and what makes them tick and what makes the character unique amongst all these other characters. I think that most people can relate to some shade of that at least on some deep level. And that's what makes him such a versatile character and something that can speak so much volumes 
outside of the shouting. And it's a really good character. I love the Hulk. I love him so much. And I love actually enjoying the Hulk when there are things to be enjoyed, which is why I'm so glad to have finally done a commentary track for the Hulk movie and Glee's version and to be reading the Immortal Hulk right now, which does lose me at times, but it's still incredibly powerful series. So yeah, thank you for those questions, AkiCat. They were pretty damn fun. I had so much fun answering all these questions and thank you all so much. Thank you. It means so much to me. It always has meant so much to me. So I just want to give a shout out to all the people who have actually supported the show. So thank you, Tex. Thank you, Sunglass Pre. Thank you, Illuminated. Thank you, AkiCat. Thank you, Cezea. Thank you, Medea. Thank you, Eggnap. Thank you, Judge Anon. Thank you, Moon. Thank you, Norin. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, El Bueno. Thank you, Space Ghost. Thank you, Toku Tiger. Thank you, Comic Fiend. And thank you so much to anyone that I might have missed. I honestly tried to get as many as I could. I didn't expect this much when I first started at all. And it's truly, truly amazing. And I'm so, so astounded by it. And I'm so grateful that all these amazing people listen and they interact and they have questions and they do comments and feedback and it's all the support. I am so, so grateful. Thank you all so much. I'm also just insanely grateful for, as I've always said, at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E, who did the cover art for this show. They are great. The show honestly wouldn't have any identity without them. And so check them out. Try to use their Twitter handles as much as I could. And as always, if anyone out there has their own questions, comments, or thoughts that you want to hear discuss on the show, you can always find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. And as a special anniversary episode treat, I did do a commentary track for Ang Lee's Hulk. There'll be a link below to the mega account that I used to upload it to and to the link I used on CastBox where this podcast is also uploaded from time to time. The commentary track really isn't that much in depth. It's more just weird and odd anecdotes scattered around to where they might be relevant plus general reactions to scenes and how the movie is developing i really wanted to capture the sense of watching the movie with you rather than speaking over the movie and really not letting the movie speak for itself because the movie does have a lot of substance and content that i think is really powerful i didn't really want to trip over it so much maybe next year if i do something like bulletproof monk i'll speak a lot more but for hulk i just get enthralled by it so i hope you enjoyed it i had a lot of fun making it i had a lot of fun making this show and so yeah thank you for sticking around for a year and fingers crossed for an entire second year. Thank you all so much and see you next week.